0: Welcome to
1: a special episode of the Arcade Repair Tips Question and Answer Podcast, featuring the HAG Expo in Houston, Texas. Now, here are your hosts, Tim and
2: Jonathan. Hello and welcome to a special HAG 2011 episode of the Arcade Repair Tips Question and Answer Podcast. My name is Jonathan Leung, the producer, director, and editor of the Arcade Repair Tips video series. And joining me today, as always, is Mr. Arcade Repair Tips himself, Tim Pearson. Tim, how are you doing?
1: Been a great day, Jonathan. Thank you.
2: It really has. And, Tim, it's a special treat tonight because we're recording in Stan's game room. And many of our listeners know Stan. And Stan is actually here with us in his game room. Stan, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me tonight. Welcome to my arcade. Well, it's always good. We, we record here several times, Tim. And every time it seems like it gets nicer and nicer.
1: Yeah. We got. We probably hear some of the games in the background. So yeah,
2: that's and cool. the $20 Dragon's Lair, Tim, is right straight in front of me, the one that we were talking about in episode 25. Right. And it looks nice. I didn't get to see it before. I got saw all the pictures only, but it actually looks pretty good. It's all original. Stan, just tell us a little bit more about it. We gave our listeners a little bit of information in our last episode, but how much of the troubleshooting have you actually gotten done on it at this point? Okay. Um. I, you know, to start off with the $20 Dragon's Lair, it's
3: always good to have friends. A friend of mine from church... <laughs> His name's Jeff, super nice guy. brought me, you know as I collect arcade games and fix them, take them up to the church. and he brought me this Dragon's Lair that he paid 20 bucks for. Um, it is all original, has the original Pioneer laser disc player in it, the original monitor, the original board set original power supply. The artworks in pretty good shape.'s it got a little bit of swelling on the edges from a little bit of moisture. The original, marquee, everything is, is, is all there. I've um, been working with a really great guy by the name of Sean here in, uh, in Texas who is super knowledgeable about Dragon's Lair, and we've been able to over-email, troubleshoot, and fix the power supply
2: already through email. That'll tell you how smart this dude is. Well, it's great that you've got help like that, and we definitely want to link over to Sean's website. What was that website that you had? Do you remember? Yes, it's woodfirst.com. First, like first and dot .com. And if you search for, uh, he
3: sells some products uh, that that are really cool, a laser disc converter board and a a multi-board for Dragon's Lair. And so
2: if you just did a search for Sean Wood and Dragon's Lair, his website will come up. Well, that's awesome, Stan. We're so glad that you got this Dragon's Lair, and we will be paying close attention to the restoration that you'll be doing on it in the upcoming weeks and months. Definitely excited to see this thing running, right, Tim? Oh, yeah. Well, Tim, let's get back to why we're having the special episode is obviously because of the hag. 2011. Now, for those who don't know what the HAG is, that's the Houston Area Arcade Group Expo. Happens every year about this time. Last year, Stan and Tim and Mark went. I wasn't able to go, but this year we were all able to go. And Mark actually brought us even a special gift. Mark from our Facebook page brought us all back these really cool arcade jerseys. Stan's wearing his right now. It says arcade repair tips on it. It has numbers on the back and our last names. We want to really thank Mark for bringing back those jerseys. They are one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Got the American flag on one side. Tim got the Texas flag on the other. And uh, just really nice. You'll see it in an upcoming video that we shot earlier before we did this podcast on rejuvenating a tube and a little quick tip that we also shot on JAMA test rigs that we did. There's
1: there's a lot of pictures of the Hack Festival on our Facebook page, and it also has a link to our Flickr uh, page. That Joe did for us, which we made a new friend, Joe. We want to say a shout-out to him, too. That's right. We definitely want to shout-out to Joe Rivera, who
2: is our... Official photographer. That's now. right, the official <laughs> yeah, the arcade... official <laughs> for,
3: photographer.
2: ...for Arcade Repair Tips, and it was so nice of him to bring his professional camera. And he's uploaded a lot of the pictures to the Facebook page already, put some of them on Flickr. So it'll be really good to see some of the other guys. If you guys haven't seen those pictures yet, definitely want to check those out. Also, Tim, we were able to get video of two of the seminars, which we'll be talking about later in the podcast. One by Joe Crookham, I think is how you say his right. name from Classic Arcade Works and also one with it, John Costa, was that what it was? Yes,
1: John Costa. John
2: Costa, which he did one on pinball repair that was right. really, really excellent. I definitely more on an advanced level. So if you guys, you know, if you guys haven't, you know, even delved into any arcade repair yet, probably not don't want to start with John Costa's seminar. But for those of you who have been keeping up with our website for a while, it's gonna be great great, great material for you guys. And we'll be talking about those later in the podcast. But Tim and Stan, let's start off by what all was at the Hag and what we liked and the different the different games that we saw, and if there were anything that piqued your interest. I'm going to hand it over to Tim first. Tim, was there any games in particular that you saw at the Hag this year that you were like, oh, I need to pick that up for my game room, or maybe something where you're like, oh, I need to pick that up cheap sometime?
1: Yeah. Well, first let me say how they get games there. Sure. The first, the first thing that they do to bring games is individuals, people bring them. Right, and uh, there's quite a arcade group in uh, Houston. So some of the games I recognize because they were there last year. Like, right, remember there's a picture of me on Facebook next to the Journey. I saw the Journey again, but it seems like there's always some different games that I had never seen before. Uh, you know, I saw one of the first games I played was of Tron. Yep, and I'm I, you know, as many times as I've seen one, I've never actually really played it that much. Yep, so I got to play that then. I was really looking forward to the Tron pinball. Right, Tron Legacy. And Tron Legacy, brand new pinball game out. I did enjoy playing that.
2: Now, we should mention they also had Transformers there, but we weren't able to play it because it was part of the tournament, and none of us entered the tournament. Right. But they did have the Transformers pinball machine there, which is brand new from Stern. It's a great pinball machine. Looked really good. Did look really good. We weren't able to play it, though, but it was at the show. Tim, right. what else was there that you enjoyed?
1: Uh, well, we'll probably talk about this in a a little bit the mystic marathon is right that? mystic marathon the mystic yeah. marathon uh some really there were some really rare stuff most of your, your your common classics were there another thing that john costa had was some really old games i really enjoyed there was a pitch and back game i think from 1947 yeah to me I, after i was on my way home i was telling sure i was like I really want to, uh, and I was watching an episode of Pawn Stars, and they had an old crane machine from the forties. I did not realize that they were that they had crane machines. So I think that's one one area that I like to get to in my games is have some games from every era. Yeah, so more, more em operated, stuff, more really. em, and maybe even some really older stuff. So and and there was a booth there that had all these penny arcade things and dice games. But to be honest with you. You know, we were there and we went to a couple seminars, but they had so much other stuff going on. I didn't really get to play a lot of games.
2: Yeah, and I feel like we really missed out on some of those. Now, Tim, I'm going to go ahead and kick it over to Stan real quick. Stan, was there anything in particular that you saw that maybe you want to pick up for your game room at some point?
3: Yes, there was. A, there
2: was a couple on the Stan's want list. I'm going to have to knock a wall out and add some room here, but I'll
1: do that. Um, they
3: really had a super nice root beer chopper there. Yeah, that yeah. was just fantastic to play and it and it had the re- the real tappers for the controls it had a brass leg to stand on that you put your foot on like you were up at a saloon bar and it had little green felt like green felt from a pool table on the edges right it was a really nice tapper that was really 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 uh somebody had taken some time to restore it. the artwork on the side was almost like a lithograph looked really good i john costas also I really liked his, his rifle gallery that was there. Yeah, that's right. He did have a rifle gallery Uh, uh, as well. Right next to the pitch and bat game. And the pitch and bat game was super fun. It was, it's, it's the precursor to the William Slugfest, which that's the William Slugfest is one that I would like, which wasn't there this year, but was there last year. Right. But the pitch and bat game was super fun. But the rifle gallery was, was really nice. There was a super nice asteroids there that had something that most asteroids don't have, which is a very vibrant, Vector
2: Monitor. Yeah, you, d- you just don't see that anymore, yeah. it seems like. You
3: don't, you don't see it anymore, and, and it was really nice. There was a real interesting Williams game there, though, and you guys helped me out with the name, but it was a stand-up Williams game that was like a Robotron cabinet, but it was a pinball machine with a mirror image. Super rare, and it's called...
1: I think it's... Is it Vectron? Vectron. Or, or v- something like that. Uh, wow. Yeah, we played it last year.
3: Super rare game, and, you, you, and, and it has some flippers, but it... it it's like a video game that has a flipped mirror image of it, and you're playing. It's a very cool game. Another game of a personal favorite in mine. They had a venture there. Yeah, I venture. saw the venture. Yeah. That was a good one. That is a very cool game. Somebody took some to really some good a collector in Houston. Somewhere around there brought it to the game, and I want to say thank you for bringing those games because I really enjoyed playing
2: your games. Yeah. yeah. I'll also say there was a Joust 2 there that was there last year. A lot of people haven't seen Joust 2 right. before, but it's actually got a vertically mounted monitor, Tim, versus the horizontally mounted right. one that you have in a normal Joust. Right. And so that was really interesting. Another one that we got to play, a newer game, was the Pac-Man Battle Royale. We All, yeah. all four of us got to Super play on that one. Super fun game. Super fun.
1: Four player.
2: I looked it up online, guys, and I think BMI Gaming sells it for about forty-two ninety-five. a lot cheaper than I thought. It's still kind of expensive. Right. But I tell you what, I could just see like the four of us probably sitting there playing that all night, you know, have, having drinks in the in the little cup holders that are on it. I mean it was it was a lot of fun. I really yeah. like that. And now you and me Tim played the Iron Man Classic. And I hadn't played any of Stern's classic series of pins. Right. Now, this That's is kind strange. of stripped down versions. Yeah. And you can definitely tell that they're cheaper. Right. And my thing is, if you're going to spend that much money on a pinball machine, you should go all out, right? Spend sure. the
1: extra money. <laughs> well, you, you know, there were two Tron pinballs there. Right. And one of them had only about $100 more into it, but it had all the LED lights right. and some of the extra toys. And that extra 100 I was like, wow. Yep. I mean, it was just really cool. In fact, that was Carl, uh, a good friend of ours, uh, game that he had brought. So, you know, sometimes we, you know, every, I know everybody can't go down and buy brand new pinballs. We all wish we could. Yeah. I think that I told, that's another thing on my, my want list. I said, I want a game to arrive at my door in a box one day. <laughs> and so. Instead of on a trailer. Yeah, instead of on a trailer <laughs> with me strapping it down. That's and, right. Sweating and tired, sweating.
2: Stands over here saying, what fun is that? Who wants yeah. a box game? Yeah. I, mean, I, on. want one, I want <laughs> to take
1: be one, the one first time. person to <laughs> lay eyes on it other than the people of the manufacturer. There you go. That's <laughs> well, going to be my goal. But but anyway, uh, you know, sometimes an extra 100 bucks on a brand-new pinball game, wow, that really made a difference in that game.
2: Yeah. But, you know, the hag and the other one that we like to go to is the Texas Pinball Festival. They're a lot the same. You know, you pay one flat fee, you get to play all weekend. And there, this one in particular not only had pinball machines, though, like Texas Pinball Festival, but there was a really good selection of video games, console games. Like Tim mentioned earlier, there was some of the dice games that we saw, um, and there were a lot of vendors there. I think uh, Illinois Pinball was there. Some of the other ones were there. Stan, you were able to get some good deals from Chris Monroe. Talk about some of those, real yeah, quick. Yeah, parts.
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, shout out to Chris Monroe for selling me about ten thousand fuses. I think it was. <laughs> I got about every fuse that I'll ever need. Slow bow, flask bow for for almost next to nothing, and some uh, he had some great deals, and he always gives me good deals. Big bag of of light bulbs. So if you ever see Chris Monroe at something, you got to buy some from him because he will give you some deals. Because light bulbs and fuses are always going out on my video games or my pinball machines. Now I'm hooked up forever on those.
2: Thanks, Chris. <laughs> That's right. You always got to thank Chris. I tell you what, he's got the biggest selection of just stuff
1: right ever. Lots of used parts there. Lots of new parts. One thing that I liked too was there was a couple of vendors kind of like a garage sale, and I talk to these ladies, and I'm like, well, are, do you have a thrift shop or what? She's like, no, this is the leftovers of my collection, stuff I'm trying to thin down. All kinds of collectibles from the 80s, and I me and Stan picked up some pretty neat things. Yeah. Uh, tell so, some of the stuff that yeah, you got. Let's hear some of
2: it.
3: Yeah, I got some stuff for some little topper things from my different video games, so... For the top of my Donkey Kong, I got me a little uh, E.T. And for the top of my uh, Star Wars, I got a Yoda and a, uh, it, I think it was a Burger King Death Star that you would push and it would spin around real fast and open up like it exploded and spark and I stuff like that. I think it like is that. from Burger King. I remember Burger that. King from the 80s It's super cool and a, and a little Millennium Falcon. I got a number one issue Woolworth uh, Star Wars comic book and a number <laughs> two issue – And I think I paid like five bucks for it. Yeah. Uh, It was just incredible. You know, some some little plush toys from my crane, just some really good, uh, some really good.
2: Trinkets from the eighties for my arcade. Yeah, now we should say that Stan has a crane in his and we've talked about having different things in your game room, Tim. And I think a crane is good. The only thing is you got to keep it stocked, right? Stan, when the kids come over, they want to get stuff. Now I see a big blue smurf. Do you have that one glued down to the bottom? I'm just curious.
3: No, but you notice that he's up on the back wall, which is really hard to get on the very (laughs) back wall. So my little nieces and nephew, they got good at the crane and they will, they, they will pull everything out of that over a weekend and then their mom only lets them take one home. So I recycle it and put it back in. There you go.
2: Well, it's always nice to have cranes. It's nice to pick up some toys for that crane. Tim, what did you pick up at the, at the different uh, booths that were? Well, there? I
1: got an old Chuck E. Cheese bank <laughs> and some uh, just a lot of stickers and things like that. Another thing we've mentioned—they give out a ton of stuff like that uh, door prize wise. Oh yeah, I know that they didn't have the trivia this year. I noticed that you know we played the trivia games last year. They did give out a ton of stuff. That they had raffles and things and just. Constantly, you know, calling out numbers where they were giving out things. You you could not help but have a good time. And if you're Star Wars fans, we have to make mention the 501, I think. Yeah, I think it was. The 501 was there, and, uh, you know, guys dressed up as stormtroopers. So it was a really good atmosphere for your kids, you know. It's just been a great place to come have a good time for the weekend.
2: Now, we should mention that expos like this don't just happen in Texas. They happen all over the place. If you're in California, you've got things like the California Extreme. If, if you're in, you know, Florida, there's like a, an expo down there in Nevada. All over the country, there are these little expos where you can pay for one flat rate for a whole weekend. And collectors like, like us and Stan here will bring their games, send them on free play, and let other people enjoy them. Because, you know, I think we all agree, you know, what's the point in having these games? unless we have people who want to enjoy them. You know, obviously, we enjoy them, but it's always nice to have other people play your games as well. And so it was really nice to see all the collectors bring out their stuff. Stan? You know, another thing that I like
3: about these shows is is some of the vendors that come out. Marco Specialists were there. Yeah, so, Marco specialty. They were there, and they were giving out free Novus and uh, some free fuses, uh, which was really nice. And so people could pick up a little bitty bottle of Novus for free uh, with some literature about... Uh, marco specialty products and and some fuses so that
2: was really cool when we get vendors out there too so thank you guys for coming definitely well guys let's go ahead and move to the seminars now we were able to attend about three of the seminars like i said we were actually able to film two of them but the first one was probably the best and that's the one we didn't get on film so we're gonna have to talk about a lot but it was the one with ken graham who used to be a former programmer for Williams. Right. And I tell you what, it was very interesting. Ken Graham is now a collector, lives in Houston, and specifically a collector of Williams games, as you would probably suspect. The one that he had there, Tim mentioned earlier, the Mystic Marathon, is actually one of the games that he worked on. And I believe in the seminar, Tim, he said that there were only five in existence And now there's only four because he has the board set from the fifth one that I think he said was destroyed. Right, right. And so
1: there's only like two that they can track down. He knows there were five made, so you want to talk about a rare game, guys? (laughs) You can't get much rarer than that. Oh,
2: definitely. And so, but you got to remember, he was one of the programmers on it. So I would love to have a game where I was a programmer on it too. I'm sure you know he was. Him being able to get that game was a big deal for him. Now let's go ahead and just go down the seminar. I've got some notes here, guys. And if you guys want to chime in on anything, just let me know. First off, he was a programmer during the golden age at Williams, which is about 82 to 83. And he said that he, he worked kind of right after the Defender crates right. kind of happened. And so he was talking about how, how he had actually also worked on some Atari 2600 cartridges as well. you know. But he also said that at one point Atari went to manufacturing all the games you know like even the williams games started to be manufactured by atari and they started to come in late do you remember when he was talking about right, that some yes. of those and he was saying that atari was having to pay williams all these royalty fees for missing deadlines right. and so like they missed i think he said defender by 9 months they they missed Joust by like 11 months are you on talking the atari. about
1: the cartridges yeah, the for 2600. the 2600 yeah the okay.
2: cartridges williams cartridges for the 2600 that atari actually wanted to make the games and because they're missing these deadlines, Williams was starting to just get money. Oh, yeah. It was a
3: financially good situation right. for right.
1: Williams. Ten, I, I remember this figure, $10 million a month. Wow. A month.
2: That's ridiculous. So to
1: tell you how much money, you guys think about it this way. You go down today, an average game costs about 50 bucks. Well, you know, you don't buy a new game every week or you save up or whatever. New games back in the 80s, guys, cost $50. That's right. So imagine what it was like for me mowing grass, having to go out and mow five or six yards just for one cartridge. Right.
2: And, and Tim, I know these notes are all over the place, but I was just kind of jotting them down as we went. And then he said he got moved to the artwork division after working on some of the 2600 games, and that's where he worked on Mystic Marathon. Now, Mystic Marathon's a very different game. Were you guys able to play it at the festival at all? I, I played I it
3: for just a minute. What would you guys think? Uh, it was a good side-scrolling game.
2: Yeah. Um, Kind of like a race,
3: yeah. Kind of like a race, a
2: platformer in a way. I mean, you know, marathon. He's running yeah, a marathon. Exactly, a marathon.
3: definitely uh, some of that precursor to the, some of the side-scrolling games we later saw in some of the home consoles.
2: Definitely, and I mean, it was a neat game, but it just didn't gain popularity. I remember they got bought out. He said something about right. getting bought out by another company, and I can't remember what the company's name was. And I know I'm probably it butchering was this Valley all up. At that time, yeah, that's right. It was Bally. And that they didn't really they see laid off. That's right. While, and yeah. they didn't see the need and in, in having this Mystic Marathon wasn't very good. And so the, they only manufactured five of them and there are only five in the world, for now, like he said. So um now he did talk about some tech stuff. And let's go ahead and get into some of the tech stuff. And and Tim, probably the most interesting thing that he said the entire time, to me and you anyway, was the fact that he does not recommend switchers on Williams games. Right. And, and you know it, we're so we're so big on putting in switchers right, because we, we
1: have recommended that a dozen times over the last podcast. You've heard us say people come in and say, I'm getting a RAM error or whatever, and we'll tell them, hey, make sure your voltage because it's critical that the voltage be put out right. But uh, he kind of set us straight and really explained that a lot and told us why switchers weren't as good as we thought for Williams games. Right, he said he mentioned it
2: was a bug in the 6809 chip is, is why. And what happens is, is it will basically, as the power goes down on a switching power supply, it will randomly pick an address to write to. And if that address happens to be your CMOS, you're in trouble. Right. Because it could write garbage there, and if it writes the garbage there, then your settings won't save. And Stan, Knew exactly what he's talking about right away. Stan, right away, right? because I have a problem with my joust
3: that'll do it. In my joust, um, I've got a switching power supply. In my Stargate, I have the original linear power supply. Right. And my Stargate doesn't do what he was saying, but my joust does. When I power it off, it'll write squirrely things to it, and it'll come up with different errors, and it won't hold the memory, in, or it'll put different things on the scoreboard. might go free play, non-free might, play, might go more free men, men, less yes, men, stuff like that. Stuff like that, and it has a switching power supply. And what he was saying is that the switching power supply doesn't allow the time in milliseconds, which is what he was saying was big, for the decay of the 5 volt. The 12 volt turns off. And then the five volt decays with the linear power supply, and he said that doesn't happen with the switcher, is why it might write.
2: Correct, and and that was really interesting because as soon as that, as soon as the game turns off, that twelve volt jumps down and just immediately just goes to zero, and at that point the CMOS basically locks. It says there's nothing else that can be written to this, and that's what protects it in the, in the linear power supply. You don't have that switcher because they both kind of. Go down at the same rate. And so you end up with this kind of addressing. And I know this is probably over a lot of people said real technical, but it's really fascinating because basically it all boils down to chips doing funky stuff when the power goes down. And it's something that we talk about all the time. You know, you're not getting your board's not working. Check your power supply, right? And this is just kind of something that happens as the power supply goes off is that it starts writing this gibberish to certain random addresses.
1: Well, let me dumb it down for everybody on my level. What (laughs) I got from it was it'd be kind of like taking your computer. And instead of going and hitting start and going shut down, just turning it off, just unplugging it from the wall every time you got through. Right. And, and so you wouldn't do that at your home computer. Right. So you need those, of course, he said milliseconds, right? It takes a little longer on your home computer, but it gives it enough time to dump out all that stuff, and that, that keeps your game clear, your CMOS clear. So. Right. And he made it so simple for us
3: to understand during the seminar about how to repair your linear power supply. Just by him talking, I knew that in my Stargate, my linear power supply, my bridge rectifier, wasn't putting out the right voltage. I told him something, and he said, oh, yeah, that's that. And so it's going to be a super fix to, to get my power supply working back in for my joust
2: and take that switcher back out. Yeah, he said it only cost about $10 to rebuild. Your old, right. your old linear power supply. Yeah, you and he says you can get the schematic for it and basically read the parts off of it, replace them, and you're good to go. He's, Or you can get the kit, like Tim said. And, I mean, you get a kit, $10, that's cheaper than a Switcher, right, Tim? Right. So in Williams games, we're going to start re- recommending sticking with the linear power supply and rebuilding. it, right. Thanks to Ken. So, yep. <laughs> but let, let's, let's kind of go past this now. He went on to say that the reason why Williams had so many different boards in them is that way you didn't have kind of one single point of failure. Right. Which is really a good idea. I mean when you when you think about it like that. And when you think about Williams games, you always think about the fact that some of the boards were interchangeable between games, between right. Joust and Sinistar and some of these other ones, which is really interesting, you know, and, and, you know, we look at other games from that era. You look at Pac-Man, it's a single board. You look at some of the other games that we have that have like tiered boards and everything. And it's nice, it's nice the way they did it. Plus, they also have, you know, the little test checks that will tell you, you know, if you have RAMs that are bad and things like that, which is really, in, you know, really, really fascinating, really helpful when you're trying to troubleshoot these games. And he went over that too. You know, the first thing he always said, if you're trying to troubleshoot Williams games though, check the power. That was right. number one that he said. Number one, he said, unplug and check voltage. He said that the linear power supplies don't care if there's a load on them or not.
1: Yeah, he used an acronym. He said, check your power ASAP. Y'all remember what that meant? No, I don't yeah,
2: remember what ASAP. he said.
1: Always start at power. Oh, that's ASAP. At power, ASAP. Always, start at power. always start at power. That's that's really good. So I hope y'all can remember that. We got to steal that one, right? Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so always start at power. And he says you don't have to have the load on it. You can check it without the load on it, which is really nice. And he said the three LEDs. A lot of people are familiar with the three LEDs on the Williams boards. Right. If you have that, that just means that you have the minimum voltage, not that your voltage is good. Right. Or correct. Correct. And so, you know, that just means you're getting whatever the bare minimum is. You might still have power issues even though
1: you got the three LEDs. Right. He said you could have, like, three volts and it light the LED, but you're required... Requirement is 5 volts. Right. So you're actually 2 volts short when, but your LED, so he's, he mentioned that. And I've heard people say that. Well, all three lights on my LEDs are lit. Well, you need to check, get your meter out and check your voltage because that doesn't always mean that it's working right. Correct. Or that's right.
2: Another thing he says, and a lot of people are familiar with the seven segment LED that is on the board that shows you numbers and things like right. that. And you'll notice on most of them it says zero, but on Sinistar it says C. Right. And we always just thought that our our little LED segments were burned out, right, Tim? Right. And, and
1: for <laughs> I just thought that that's the you know that it, mine was the only one like that, but evidently all stars are like that. Right. Another thing, and and Stan, you're probably familiar with this, is the fact that
2: the batteries like to corrode on the boards. A lot right. of people are familiar with those with those AA batteries, and he had actually done a kit to his to use one of the nice CR twenty thirty two batteries in its place, which I thought was really nice. Keeps it from leaking and everything. He said you don't get quite the life out of them. At the same time, you don't have to worry about them, you know, spilling battery acid, corroding parts of your board, and things like that. And yeah.
3: that battery was, if you don't know the CR uh, battery numbers, that's the round type battery that you would find typically in some type of larger watch or some type of device. You know, I think they're device. also
1: used for computers, Computer, motherboards, computers, computers you your motherboards, point three two. So Here, here's something I want to inject right now. Is a great tip for everybody's listening. Every year, us techno nerds always get something that needs batteries Yep. for Christmas. That always reminds me it's a good time once a year on all your pinball games and any of those Williams games or any game that has those AA batteries, it's a good time to change them out.
2: Why am I thinking about the daylight savings time and switching out like your your fire alarm, right. your, your smoke detectors in your house and everything? Mm-hmm. So when you're switching out the batteries in your smoke detector, might as well go ahead and switch up the batteries in your arcade and pinball machines. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I would not
1: leave them in there any longer than a year.
2: Okay. Well, that, that's that's a good point. Now another thing he said that was really interesting was you know he said look for hacks on boards and and guys we're so familiar with this because we know how operators think because we used to be operators tim we know whatever it takes to get the game running is what i'm going to do if i got to run a jumper wire from here to here on the back of the board because it gets around a certain part that i don't need then i'm going to do it and so you always have to look for those hacks on the back of the board wires you know the 5 and 12 volts you mentioned that little connector that they'll burn right there. and uh-huh. You guys know what I'm talking about. I yep. forget which board that is. Tim, you might be more familiar with the it. widget board? I, yeah, I think so. And they'll actually burn right there. He says that's very common. And, you know, another thing that he said that, I, man, is, is just mind-blowing is the fact that, you know, just because you replace your the fuses in your game with the ones that were there... Doesn't mean it's the correct fuse. Right. Because right. an arcade operator will come back and they, oh, all I got's a twenty amp fuse. Oh, I'll oh, well. put that in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, it, it worked. <laughs> when it takes an eight amp fuse. Exactly right. correct. And so just because you replace the fuses in your game with the ones that were in it when you got it, does not necessarily mean that you're replacing them with the right fuses.
1: It's a good idea if you're going to keep the game for a while to go ahead and find out what they're supposed to be. Most of the information's online or in your manual. And label label your fuse blocks and put what it should be. So if yours blows a fuse, you put the right fuse back in it.
3: Right, right. I will be putting right fuses back in the rest
2: of my games for the rest of my life. <laughs> thanks to Chris Monroe and all these <laughs> awesome fuses. That's right. You got enough fuses to go around. If anybody needs a fuse, yeah. Stan Stan will be more than happy to help you
1: out. He's your new your new fuse supplier. It's funny because right when you're buying purchasing them fuses, this guy walks up and goes. Hey, you got any 15 amp fuses? Yeah, there? Chris Monroe's like, all right, he yeah.
2: bought them all. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I gave him a free fuse. <laughs> but anyway, so Ken went on to talk about that. He also talked about how you could check the voltage on those 4116s, Tim. You remember right. that? And it was at the corners. He's like, yes. one of the corners is five, one of them is negative five, one of them is 12, one of them is ground. You can check the voltage there, put your meter on it, you can test to see if each one is getting
1: voltage. Yeah, what we're talking about is those RAM errors that everybody gets. Yeah. And Very you got common. all those chips everywhere, all over the board and uh, so he says that you can check the corners make sure that you' got you got one that doesn't have five volts or doesn't have 12 well then you know that's probably a bad chip and this is a huge uh, tech piece
3: I mean because there there are three banks of RAM chips yep and is it your chip or is it the socket and to be able to go to each individual chip and to put a meter on it and check your ground your five your negative five and your 12 for each chip, you can quickly assess within about a minute which chip
2: is not right and then you can look at the chip or the socket. Exactly, and that's the thing is is that a lot of times when you're not getting power, it's not necessarily a chip. It might be that the solder you got like a cold solder joint or something right, like right. that. And so it's real easy for you to be able to troubleshoot these. You know, people are used to reading those seven segment LEDs and they tell them like what road, you know, the bad chip is on and everything. Right. But you guys have probably had it before where you replace that one and you still have problems. Right. He said, "If that happens, just take all
1: twenty-four of them out, Fish put them in ball. a bowl, <laughs> you know, spin them around, and then pull them out randomly and put them all back in." Yeah, and he got, but he, which I was like, "Where's it going with this?" And then he explained it though. And uh, Jonathan, maybe you can handle feel that one. Okay, you know, I've got stand um, here. It was an addressing
3: issue that it it had That's two right. main addresses that it wrote to, and if one gets stuck with the power cycling off. It'll get stuck and get a RAM error that's right and so by putting them taking them all out and putting in a bowl uh, you can reboot that that stuck RAM error because it only has one or two addresses that it'll finally write to and by putting them back in it will allow it to recycle and to reboot itself and to restart and that's what he explained why right. you would do that it the, was very the main, interesting the
1: main goal would be to put that chip in a different place area right. and another one in that one because kind of swapping the chips around sometimes will fix it. We're, we're hoping for randomness is what right. we're hoping for. Right. We're hoping that we're not going to
2: put that same chip, chip in that same socket and that once that happens, the addressing issue will it'll change enough that we won't have the addressing issue. Correct. And he did say one other thing that I'd like to mention about sure.
3: the about the RAM chips and the errors that if you're if you get a RAM uh, error and you change it and it doesn't fix it, then you need to look at your filter board on your RAM board. Go over to the left side on the other side from where the RAM chips
2: and see what's filtering through there. Check your voltage there that's feeding your RAM bank, right? And that's a good point too, Stan. He did mention that. I mean, this—it's obvious that this guy knows way more about troubleshooting Williams games than we'll probably ever know. We're learning from him. This guy's definitely very knowledgeable. Right. Now he—he he went on here and he got kind of on a on a less technical. You know, offshoot kind of thing. And he started talking about the AMOA disaster. And that's when you were talking about the Bally Williams thing happened and everything right. like that. And basically, history. this is a little history. And you know, he, he talked about how they were developing Sinistar and Bubbles and Mystic Marathon, kind of all about the same time. And the CEO of Williams was trying to sell the company to Bally, kind of under the table, it sounded like. Right. So. Like, you know, exactly. And he makes he makes the deal. But basically, Bally wanted to make sure all the books were in order, that everything, you know, everything was on the up and up. So he calls up the vice president. But but like Ken said, the problem was, is that there was only one vice president there because all the rest of them were at the AMOA. And he wasn't the brightest bulb in the bush.
0: Okay, Uh, Mm -hmm. I think
2: it's not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Mm -hmm. You know, one brick short of a load, whatever you want to say. This guy was not not very bright. And so he just goes and he calls him up and he says, fire 30% of the staff. Right. And this guy just randomly picks kind of
1: 30% of the staff. He pretty much put them in a fishbowl and just started drawing (laughs) that Exactly. He did like the ramship. Yeah, not
2: a good strategy. Right. And so, so he does it and the Bally deal goes through and everything. The CEO guy takes his pile of money, goes to Bermuda or wherever it was. And then Bally, he's on the beach, Bally calls him up. And, you know, hey, you know, uh, what what's going on here? And he's like, what do you mean? Well, we really only wanted your programmers, and it seems like you fired most of your programmers. Right. And so what ends up happening? Well, Bally tries to call back up the programmers who were initially with Williams, and what do they say to him when he calls them back up?
1: They said, "See you
2: later." They said, "We never want
1: to work for an arcade company again." (laughs) That's right. I'm now in telecommunications. I think they wrote a song
3: for it in the '80s called "Take This Job and Shove It." That's
2: right. (laughs) That's what it
1: was. But it was
2: really interesting, you know, to hear the history there. And you know, he said that on any given game, there were about a five-person teams. I think is what he said. And there were, you know, for Sinistar though, there were four programmers. He said that that game took more programmers. Than anything, and that it was so hard. You know, everybody talks about how difficult Sinistar is.
1: Yeah, it was made that way. He was right. act- They were actually, I guess you would say, commissioned to make a game by the operators. By the operators, right? To make a game that would only last three minutes, right? Because
3: the operators did not want people sitting and playing all day like they could do on Joust or Defender or
2: Stargate, and only play three minutes and dump some more quarters in. But the good point that he made was the fact that in order to get good enough to play all day on one quarter on Joust you had to put a whole bunch of quarters in that machine right. it's not like you're going to put your first quarter in that machine and say oh i'm a genius i can get through and, you know And anybody that three wanted levels. to
1: beat you would
2: also have to and have put dumped that. that
1: much in there
2: right you see and that's what the operators missed out on all they saw was that they had these games and then They'd do great for a while, and after a while, they'd kind of start deteriorating money-wise, and it was because these guys were getting better and better at the game. So basically, they made a game that it was just brutal
1: from the get-go. Right, and, and, and what happened Sinistar. then was a person played it, lost a quarter, three minutes later, they tried it again, it's too hard, they went on. And in fact, you guys you might know this, that the, one of the only games I'm good at is Sinistar. And the reason why? Because nobody was ever playing it. That is true. I was sitting there and I played it because everybody else was playing Dragon's Lair, you know, and, I, <laughs> and and learning how to beat it and everything. And I was over there playing Sinistar because it was one of the games nobody wanted to play because it was so hard. Right. And that's about where Ken left off, was just talking about Sinistar and the
2: history and everything. And that pretty much summed up the seminar. We'll go ahead and give out his name on KLOV for those of you who are members over there. It was Yellow Dog. He is located in Houston, Texas. He has a very big Williams collection from what I understand. And he also repairs Williams boards, any classic Williams game pretty much. He'll repair it. He knows probably more than anybody else, and he's a good guy to get in touch with. If you guys have classic Williams games, if you've got a Bubbles or a Defender or a Sinistar or Joust or uh, what else? Moon Patrol. Moon Patrol.
3: Jonathan, I think the measure of a good repairman is the ability to be able to communicate, to teach somebody with their words on how to fix it, and this guy could do that. Oh, definitely. He could could just tell you, and you could understand – so he translated all this techno uh, information into a language that we could understand and take back with us and fix our games. Right. So he knows his stuff.
2: He also had a rig there. We should yeah. mention that. With he had a rig. rig there with the pachinko screen, which we mentioned in our video. If you guys are going to buy our Volume 4 DVD, you'll see a video on Jam and Test Rigs that Stan and Tim did. And Stan, you guys like to use a PS1 monitor, mm-hmm. but he'd actually taken a screen from a pachinko machine right. and used it as his test rig monitor, which was really neat. He had it there running RoboTron, I believe it was. Right. It yep. looked really nice, yep. and uh, he was showing us all the things, you know, going through it and everything. You know, now he did have a switcher hooked up, even right. though he told us we should probably use the linear instead. And he said it was to save his back. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. You know, it's it's a lot heavier. You know, to carry around that linear power supply on that board. But I, it was very impressive. Probably the best seminar of the day. What do you guys think?
1: Better think so. than, better than the rest of the ones we saw? Just from from where we are. Right, I that's true. I think a newbie might have got something else out of another one. But for where we are in our arcade preparing course, you guys know we don't know everything. We right. just pass on what we learn, and we're learning new stuff every day. One, I definitely took home some new things, and we'll be sharing that when we get questions on other podcasts, We'll share that knowledge.
3: Yeah. yeah, this one I really liked because... I like it because I, I, I have several Williams games. I have uh, two Williams pinball machines. I have three Williams games in my arcade, Moon Patrol, Stargate, and Joust right here in this room that we're sitting in, along with a Black Knight and a F-14 Tomcat, all yep. Williams games. And uh, And I was sitting on the edge of my seat because he was giving me information that I could easily digest and take back and fix some of my issues
2: so again that was ken graham's seminar the first seminar of the day that we saw when we were at the hag and if you guys want to get in contact with him check him out in the klov forums yellow dog is his username yellow dog yellow dog that's right and i tell you what like i said probably the best seminar of the ones that we saw now we only saw three of the five i think, I think it there was, was five, yeah. so we only saw three of the five we didn't go to all of them so we can't judge them all tim but of the ones we saw I felt like that was definitely one of the better ones the next one that we're going to talk about was John Costa and pinball repair. Now this guy knows his stuff. I will tell you that. And it was very interesting. Now the, the cool thing is we're not going to talk about a whole lot because we actually got video of most of it. Mark Nellis was able to capture a lot of that video for us. He's going to send it to me. We're ha- going to have it up on the YouTube page pretty soon. But he he went over a lot of stuff. He went over Bally MPU repair. He went over cracked header pins, you know, he went over Flickers and displays. How to get out the flickers and things like that, and and really pretty much any question you had about pinball repair, he was gonna he was willing to tackle. Right. And that's what I liked about. It. He kept asking people. Oh, you guys I, have any. Questions? I threw one on
1: him right at the get go. That's right.
2: <laughs> Tim's been working on a no fear for for one of our people that we repair pinball machines for, and uh, it was an interesting question about you know whether or not these uh, these brake power supplies really go bad. Right. Right. Tim?
1: Yeah. A transformer down in right. the bottom of the game. I'm getting some crazy voltage and. You know, basically, he had not ran across that before, but what I wanted to get from him was, could it happen? Is it possible? Right. And he said, yeah, it's definitely possible. He knew enough to. that's all I had to hear because I knew what I was reading with my meter. Remember, I trust my meter, not my eyes. Yeah. Anyway, so he was a lot of help with that. One thing that he prided himself on is that he does a lot of electromechanical pinball repair, which you guys know is a whole different ballgame, and he warranties his work on electromechanical pins which I know a lot of people don't do because you fix one thing and it ain't long before something else is going wrong. Uh, one tip that he gave, and I, and you guys might remember this, because I know a lot of people on leaf switches and stuff, and you ever seen the EM games? They're full of them. He said to, uh, you know, I know people use sandpaper. You're not supposed to use sandpaper. Right. They make specialty what looks kind of like a nail file. It's called Flex something. You know, guys that do more pinball repair than me would know. Flex all or something. That's what a lot of people use. He comes back and says to use a business card to clean in between those. It's just the right amount of thickness and a little solution on there, which I never quite understood the, what solution. I said, hey, I know he said don't use contact. Yeah, uh, contact cleaner. Contact cleaner. And he said WD-40
2: was okay but kind of make
1: sure it dries and that you want to use that for like some detail cleaning but then dry and clean it off you don't uh, you don't want to just go squirting wd-40 all in your game yeah right.
3: maybe just some isopropyl that you would just put yeah, on yeah, some alcohol some like, like alcohol. we were saying uh, uh, just a little bit on a business card and put it right between that leaf switch and just rub it back and forth and
1: boom i <laughs> never thought about that and uh wow you know that was a great tip for me because i i have several EM games that I get called on. Because if you ever bend
3: any of those contacts, it is incredibly hard to get them back to where the right tolerance, the right gauge that you're supposed to be
1: between. It makes it very difficult to put them back so that they work right.
2: Yeah, and you're exactly right.
1: I mean, I have... uh, Quite a few tools. You know, I have rubber bands and paper clips and duct tape. I'll add business cards to my tool, <laughs> tool kit now.
2: <laughs> but uh, he also talked about flipper rebuilds, which is yep. something we really need to shoot a video on. I think a lot of people are really interested. It seems like that's one of the things. If you own a pinball machine, more than likely you're going to go through a flipper rebuild at some point. You're going to have to. You know,
1: one thing I got, he was talking about how a flipper will shutter. Yeah. You know what I mean when I'm talking about shutter? It'll kind of, when it going back, and he says that's the stop. Uh, if you guys don't know what the stop is, that's what, when you take a coil off, it's the piece that stays on the game. In yeah. other words, um, in the stop where it hits and stops. See I never really thought about those ever going bad. I mean, I've had to kind of, they flare out a little. Well, and apparently
2: I'm, they're, magnetized, yeah, they're which is, magnetized, which is
1: something that we didn't we didn't
2: know. I mean, we, probably something that I, I should have figured, Yeah, but like something or that something nobody tells day, you. Right? right, exactly. But they are magnetized and they can make a big difference in that recoil. Right. You know, and that's the deal. And so I I think that was really interesting, him talking about flipper rebound. One
1: reason why we we don't know, John's because we're not super great pinball players and we don't hold the ball. That's right. (laughs) And, you know, that's what these guys, when you're trying to hold it and it's flickering on you, it's a big deal. Gotcha. But if you've got a pinball, you know, we don't get a lot of pinball questions, but I would say that our knowledge on pinball has really gotten a lot better over the past year. So if you guys got pinball questions... I'd be at least we know who to ask.
2: That's right, and I tell you what, if you guys are in the area, you definitely need to check out John uh, in Houston. You definitely need to contact John Costa if you have any EM games. I mean, the guy. Even if you're anywhere in Texas, I would say it's probably right. a good good idea to to pick those up. But uh, he had a username on the on the KLOV forums too, but I can't remember what it was at the moment. It is in the video, so when we post the video, you guys can check it out there. But this is a really great seminar, Tim. Probably one I only recommend for our users that are advanced level and higher.
1: And it seemed like our group that was in there was maybe a couple new guys. Right. But, I mean, there were some guys up there that, you know, you could tell it was just the banter in the room was just really high, you know, on a high level. And so, yeah, we were getting stuff out of it. Iron was sharpening iron, as the Bible says, you know, and so that's a good thing.
2: Yeah. Now, Stan, anything to add about John Costa's seminar? Anything that you get out of it or...?
3: If you remember, I was playing his uh, batten game in oh, his rifle right. I gallery. I,
2: I didn't go for that one. Um, well, we videotaped the whole thing for you. That's the good news. Now, that's <laughs> the good news. And <laughs> yeah, I got to play to... a couple extra games. Yeah, I forgot all about that. But, hey, you got to play some cool games down there. It's always good to do that. So, But we want to really thank John for coming out sharing a lot of his knowledge. Guys, we always want to encourage people to share knowledge. Right. That's the key. We, You know, if this information gets lost, there's no telling if we'll ever find anybody else who knows it, you know. Right, right. And so there's so much information out there, and anytime we have somebody who's willing to share it, willing to help you guys out, definitely want to give you their name. John Costa, great guy, and we even got to talk to him a little bit on the show floor. Got to see some of his games, like Stan mentioned, and just pristine condition on these old old games, 1930s. Some yeah, of them. 47. Mean, you know, yeah, just exactly. Beautiful stuff. So I mean, good stuff. John Costa, you guys watch for the video. We'll post that soon. And then Tim, the last one that we went to was the Joe Crookham. And it was about how to replace your old cab. And he went a little bit into that, but the seminar was mainly about his new company, Classic Arcade Works. Right. And, you know, and basically how he could build brand new arcade cabinets with his CNC machines. He had some templates already built up and everything. And it was really interesting, you know, right. to see. He had some examples there of the cabinets he had built. It, they were pretty nice, to him.
1: Right. Well, you know, John, we... This first time we met Joe, but we've actually known Joe for a while. Joe is a arcade repair tips listener, uh, listener, and uh, <laughs> he's posted on our Facebook page before. And I know he had a question a long time ago about NBA jams, so it was good to meet him. He just had some fantastic prices. One one thing that I was want to talk to Joe about was, you know, when I build multicates, I love the fact that uh, I love the look of the Galaga or Miss Pac-Man and the Definitely. cabinets.
2: Definitely, yeah.
1: But I hate to take a, ga- a game and destroy it to make a multi-cade in it. But that's...
3: Absolutely, it's sacrilegious. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but that's what, you know, all the stuff from Arcade Shop fits. Well, here's a great thing that he offers. He offers to build a brand spanking new. And I'll tell you what, it's cheaper. Uh, Sam's got the price list here. He'll go through some of those prices with us. But you know, this way you don't have to tear up a classic, but you can still build your sixty and one or whatever with a brand new thing. Plus, if you've got a cabinet on a classic that is damaged or water damaged or whatever, he offers that too. So Stan, what all what is it? Yeah, you got I, a I, like a,
3: I got a flyer in my hand and this has got some great information and, and, and basically I w first want to start off that these are precision cut cabinets man they look like the originals i mean they did and they they were precision cnc cut replacement cabinets i've got a couple games in my in my arcade here that need repair that new dragon's lair got a little bit of moisture and so it's you know it's starting to swell a little bit down at the bottom and the edges and i could get a a brand new lag uh, dragon's lair cabinet for 425 from him and that's a big cabinet but also sitting right behind me is my cubert and my cubert came from some place where they had dogs or cats, and it's got all this popcorn mark on the bottom. Well, the thing I can figure is the dogs and cat were having a pee war on it, <laughs> and uh, so there's all this. Well, you know uh, they are made out of wood. Cancer. Maybe they even
2: stick it for a tree. Huh? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: Three seventy five. I can get a new cubert cabinet and uh, CNC quality cut cabinet. So. His work was super, super good looking.
2: Yeah, and we took a picture with him, and it's on the Facebook page if you guys haven't seen it. And, it, and me, Stan, Tim, Mark, and I think, yeah, and uh, Joe himself are all in the picture. We're right in front of one of his cabinets. Right. Uh, I think Mark's leaning on it, I'm leaning on it. But I tell you what, they were some of the nicest looking cabinets I've seen. The one that he had there was one of those Atari, like Marble Madness, I forget what you call that system, that had all those different games. But it, I mean, it was cut to perfection, Tim. It looked mm-hmm. just like the cabinet. And it's always good when we have a listener who started an arcade business that we can kind of prop up. Because, you know, we feel like we know our listeners. We feel like the listenership, you know, we all try to help each other. We're like a big family in a way.
1: A very needed, uh, he saw something out there that was needed. And uh, he filled that role. He thought, this is something that I can do and can contribute. So maybe everybody ought to think that. What can I do? You know, or maybe you have a certain game like the guy that Stan mentioned earlier. We we're talking about his Dragon's Lair, Sean Wood. You know yep. that maybe you have a favorite game, or maybe there's something that you could have reproduced or something that could help somebody. So you know, we all need to think of how we can contribute. Like we could be
3: the missionaries for video games. <laughs> That's <A missionary> right. <laughs> came to church the other day and said, "I can't change the world, but I could change the life of this one person." And you know what? I can't fix every game out there. But I can fix this one game. And if we all go and do that same thing, <laughs> yeah, that's we right. got fixed games all over. That's right. I'd like to mention that some of the prices on these cabinets are pretty pretty low. Yeah. You can get a new Tempest cabinet from Joe uh, for two fifty. Two fifty. Two hundred and fifty bucks. Wow. And you can get a Star Wars cockpit if you can put all the pieces together for seven hundred bucks. And there's a little asterisk by it, and so I want to mention that. He says if you don't see the cabinet on the list, just ask and the assembly The little asterisk was assembly is not available unless you have original on loan. So you got a cabinet, a wizard of war that is just beat up, and you want a new one. He might need that to borrow it on loan, the cabinet, so he can do his uh, do his wizard of war. Actually, he doesn't, but the Star Wars cockpit has
2: got the little asterisk. If you want to build your own Mystic Marathon, if you you want to build your own, get one of the (laughs) boards, the the Tron, the track and field. uh,
1: How much is a Tron? That's a pretty popular cabinet. I see a lot of damage on it. Right? Oh yeah,
3: yeah. And that tempest that I mentioned for the two hundred and fifty was for the cabaret.
1: Oh okay, cabaret. So that okay.
3: was for the cabaret, and so but some prices for as low as
2: two hundred and fifty, and and uh, so some really good good prices here. We should also mention that he said he was working on the environmental disc of Tron. Right. Which is a very rare cabinet, Tim. You right. hardly ever see him. But think about building your own from scratch, your own environmental disc of tron. Isn't that just awesome? Just the thought of it.
1: Oh, I've thought of it, and I've built games from scratch. And let me tell That's you right. something: I would not do it for them prices. <laughs> there you and go. you know, well, some
3: it's, it's really looks good. And some, games, some games are just are a mess to work with. Yeah, they Let's are. Let's talk about asteroids for a minute. <laughs> asteroids. Once it gets that cancer, it just you touch it, and it just sheds all these little tiny particles. Oh yeah. And there's no fixing it. He's right. got an he he's got an asteroids cabinet for four hundred bucks that that solves that problem. Everybody would like an. And asteroids. he said not
1: only that he'll make it out of any kind of wood you want him to. That's right. If you like the original MDF type particle board, he'll make it from that. If you want it out of birch, he'll make it out of that. You know, if you want it out of pine, something really light. I know you know that's one thing about the Atari games, and they're oh well built, but they are heavy and kind of senseless. You right. Know, exactly. Heavy.
2: That dragon's lair is heavy like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's got a lot of parts in it too. A lot I mean
3: you of got yeah, that, that mm-hmm.
2: laser disc by itself is heavy. That the Pioneer seventy eight twenty laser disc I think weighs about hundred pounds exactly. it feels like <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> it's just like the parts in that one are heavy. But the thing the thing about it is is that he also mentioned just health and safety. I mean, you think about these cabinets. You don't know where they've been. You've got your kids all around them. Right. You know, I mean, you don't want to put some of these things in your house. Right. You know, if you've got them in your house when you got kids around uh, and you know they're all over the place. I mean, it just depends on the on the cabinet. But it, like you said, Stan's got the one where the dog peed on it. You don't really want your kid around the dog. What about peed. mold?
3: You have mold, <laughs> mold inside yeah, cabinets yeah, exactly. and stuff. Not or, good for you. Uh, a few years ago, Tim and I kind of resalvaged a uh, repurposed a kangaroo. Yes. Something was living in that kangaroo. And um, kangaroo was living in that kangaroo. and no matter what we here. did, it stunk to high heaven. <laughs> <laughs> the only way to fix that thing was to sell it.
0: Yep. Yeah,
2: but yeah. you know you don't want that stench in your house. You know, just get no. Joe to cut you a new cabinet because you knew it, it was some kind of rodent debris. Oh, exactly. You know, it, it remi- that that story reminds me of that Seinfeld episode where they can't get the bo out of the car. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> You know, it's like, I can't get the stench off the game. I love this game. I mean, just imagine if that would have been one that you wanted, like one one really rare piece, and you're like, I can't get rid of it, but I can't get rid of the stench. <laughs> that would have been some candles around that game. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You're going to do all sorts of stuff. But, you know, this way you don't have to do anything like that. Joe will take care of it. You know, cut a new cabinet. You'll be ready to go. So, Tim, that was the last seminar that we went to. We went to three out of the five. Right. So we went to the Kin, we went to the John Costa, and then we went to – to Joe's, and I tell you what, they were all good. All the seminars were good, very interesting. What Joe can do for you. Now, we should keep in mind that the, the, the prices that Stan mentioned are for pickup only. Right. And so, if you want it shipped, you'll have to arrange it, or he can work out something with you guys. But he sounded like he was more than willing to do that, Tim. Like he's more than willing to help you out with shipping if that's what you needed. Right, for us, it's only a three-hour drive, so it's not that much of a not that big of a hassle for us to to go down there and pick up a cabinet but if you're in you know wyoming or delaware or one of those other states that's not necessarily texas then you know you might want to think about getting one shipped to you in that case yeah so there are other places that that do this kind of work but I really look like his was really sharp and really well done. Stan, you still have the the list with you. The only other one I wanted to know was the Galaga and the Miss Pac-Man because I I feel like our listeners if they're looking to replace games or build their own they're probably looking at Galagas and Miss Pac-Man's. How much did he charge for those in particular?
3: All right. And the Galaga was well, the Galaga upright uh 325.
1: 325, so, that's not uh, too bad. Pretty
3: good price. Uh I think
1: our shop it's 385. Okay, so a the little bit Pac-Man cheaper.
3: Pac-Man 350 and the Miss Pac-Man Upright 325.
2: Not bad at all. And he had one of the cocktails there, too. We should, we should mention
1: that. He actually cocktail
3: had one. Cocktail 275. 275. On both of those. The no. cocktail
2: was 275 for the Miss Pac
3: and for the Galaga cocktail. Not, Not bad That's what all.
1: I'm going to get from him to... Um, Joe, I just want to say that, you know, if you want to throw a discount for all the shout-outs, you know, I need to get one from him to do a multi-cake. Right, and we That's should mention that he it. does
2: have a website. It's uh, ClassicArcadeWorks.com, and we're going to link to it. And we're also going to put up the entirety of the seminar up on our YouTube page, so everybody can watch that as well. Right. So, I mean, now, okay, we're we're getting here. We've got through our seminars and everything. Time to rate the show. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to rate the show. We're going to give it a letter grade, so... You know, A to F, if you guys think they failed, or A plus, if you think that it was really, really, really good, maybe the best show ever. So, we're going to hand it over to Tim first. Tim, let's talk about the show. What grade do you give the Hag Expo 2011?
1: You know, this is not my first trip, and I've been to, I think, about four of them now. Sure. So, I'm going to give this one a a solid B plus. B plus? You know, I'm going to be honest. There's a few things that I would probably change. Maybe we'll get into that. And, And I don't hand out many A's. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, for sure, you know, when you're on B-plus on my list, you're, you're probably... Well, Tim, you can go ahead good. and talk
2: about those things. This is now a good time to do that. So, so if you do have criticisms or anything, go ahead and get them out. What do you well, think?
1: you know... It, it I think like, they listened
2: to one of them. Let's say that real quick. Yeah. You know, uh, you guys were saying how loud the music was last year. Right. And yes. it seems like it was much better this year. Music level was much better.
1: Much better. Maybe, maybe could still... I, I like to hear... Okay, here's my, here's my beef always. It doesn't bother me so much on some video games, but when pinball games, the sound it, it helps you when you're playing. Right. And like, I don't know what a Tron sounds like. I played Tron Legacy pin, and I don't have any idea really what it sounds like that much. Sure. I could barely hear it, and maybe yeah. I'm just getting old.
2: But they did turn it down. I mean, they, so they, they at least did get turn credit it down. It was listening. better,
1: but you could almost do away with it until night. To me, right. Like have a party at night, kind of deal. A different atmosphere. That's just my opinion. And maybe sure. that
3: may be one of the environmental factors because there are 30 pins uh, all lined up together, even with the music off. It's still maybe a little hard
2: to hear. You are getting old, too. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: so, anything else? Any other criticisms or praises? You know, about it? Uh,
1: the only other thing that I would say was, I, and, and this, those guys know me, and I, I don't want to be hypercritical about anything, but. At the same time, the the giveaway game they had a raffle for a game. I thought it was kind of busted. It's a skins
2: game. We should mention that it's it's, it was a skins game, a
1: golf game. It had a skins board in some monstrosity game. (laughs) Pretty bad. I would not call that a skins game. If you saw a picture of that from a hundred or fifty, thirty feet away, could you have told that was a skins game? I had no. I would have thought some kind of fighter. I did have a
2: money control panel overlay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I would have passed on that thing for, if I would have been a garage sale, it would have been 20 bucks like the Dragon Slayer, I would have probably said, you give me $20 I'll haul that game off. Here's, <laughs> oh, how, here's so how bad
3: it was. Is I bought a raffle ticket and gave my raffle ticket said, you can have my raffle ticket
2: because I don't want to take that thing home if it wins. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, but, we don't want to be dissing on too much. Exactly. Hey, they had a raffle. You yeah, had a raffle. Had well, a you raffle. guys rock. Here's I got good deal, things though. to say, too.
1: Here, here's my deal, though. If you have a game out there that somebody, because who's going to buy the raffle tickets, needs to be a game, even a common game like Miss Pac-Man or Pac-Man that most people would want. doesn't have to be completely restored, but it make people want to buy the raffles, create a little bit of excitement. wasn't creating anything but a big I saw and it's the first thing you hey, saw outside the thing. I was about to say you could play without entering the expo, though. I nah. mean, you know I mean, it was out <laughs> yeah. there on free play. You're I, right. I guess. they should have paid you to play that game, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, and, no. You're, and you're
3: right. If that game had been something else, like a mappy, I'd have bought me twenty tickets. Oh, sure,
2: exactly. And then I wouldn't something have given away. You know, dark. we're never going to be invited back to the Hag. Oh, well. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, you guys. Let me let me you tell know, you something. Somebody, somebody donated, I'm sure, and uh, and that's you know. Having said that. We all bought tickets because we just want to support it. Support right? the hack. And, and, and we knew that the money would go to something and, and all this stuff. But we're asking. You're asking, and me to be honest. And that's why I wouldn't give them an A. They're just a few things away. And it seems like it gets better every year, better every well, time Why don't we talk about
2: some of the, pay, the, the positive things, since we talked about a couple of the negatives real quick. What are Look, some of your positives?
1: It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. There was a ton of games there, and lots of rare games. It's not your typical, I mean, there wasn't a lot of repeats. There wasn't like 10 Ms. Pac-Man there. Right. There, it seems like, I don't know how they do that or pick that, but they there's full of games. And, you know, we didn't have time, but all the consoles, they had every console I'd ever seen. They had oh, yeah. The Commodore 64. 7800s, Colloquial you know, Visions,
2: uh, all sorts of good consoles, definitely.
1: And if you're, you know, just cartridge, they had some cartridges I'd never seen before. That part of it was really neat. They had a, a big a newer game, a Wii game that I probably wasn't familiar with. I noticed the kids were playing. right. So it looks like they were having a good time. Well seems like it was running really smooth. The people out front were really friendly and, and it looked like a good crowd of people. I heard the Friday night was really was a lot. Yep, so you know, those are very encouraging. Very so encouraging
2: okay, things. so B+, the pros, good game selection. We had uh, lots of games, lots, lots of uh, vendors and all that good stuff. Right. Cons, raffle was a little weak. And what was the other thing? The music was a little yeah, loud.
1: Yeah, and, and I actually... Boiling, here, it here, I, boiling it down here, One thing they didn't do this year that they did last year was the trivia, unless I, we missed it after we were gone, and it was fun. The trivia was really challenging. I was like, oh, I think I know this one. And, and so I like the trivia game. That's just something that might, they might want to go back to. Yeah, they I did some of one. the trivia. Yeah, I
2: think they, they did. did a little. They bit. did.
3: Yeah, they did a little bit because I remember hearing some of the trivia. Well, we got and Stan.
2: Fun. Yeah, we got Stan here. He's talking. So, Stan, let's talk about your grade for the hag. Yeah. What do you give I'm, A to F? What I'm, are you giving the? Hag? I'm chomping at the bits. I definitely give them an A. <laughs> oh, look um, at this. We got an A. I, I get
3: an A. It, it's not a, an A plus. It's not an A plus. What about an okay. A minus? It's it's a straight up A. Right. A, it, it's a it's a A minus. It's a still an A. Okay. So you got a ninety
0: two point three, and you get an A and you get to
3: keep your GPA. What I really liked, and what I, what I this is how much I like it, is I'm wearing it right now under my really cool jersey that Mark got us. the. Uh, so I'm going to say about my cool jersey because I have my, my HAG shirt on He has on his right. HAG 2010 shirt. My HAG 2010 shirt on. That's right. Because what they did, what you guys did, was you listened to people. Because you ran out of shirts last year, you made sure you, you had enough of 2011 shirts, And you brought some 2010 shirts. And so I walked up. First thing I did was buy my ticket and buy a HAG 2010 shirt because the HAG 2010 shirt, super cool. Get in the game grid. Uh, It's got that Tron feel to it. Love the fact that they had that shirt. Let's talk about the 2011. Let's talk about the 2011 shirt. I did not buy a 2011 shirt because the art, even though the artwork was really cool, the color of the shirt was off. I don't know. It was it just, kind of a
2: beige, wasn't it? It just yeah. didn't
3: sit well, and I was all like, "Man!" And it's and it's and it's the Houston Arcade Group, and it had a pinball machine on it. I like pinball machines, but it didn't have anything to do. It's more like the Texas Pinball Fest, you right. know. So, um, you guys, maybe next year, add some. You can put a pinball machine, but put a video game on there too for us video heads, because <laughs> I didn't buy one of those. Uh, because it was just a little off, um, I like the artwork, but you know it needed to be have a little bit more of the Houston arcade, the arcade video game group feel to it. So I thought the front desk runs super smooth. People came up, they had prepaid. I paid in cash.
2: It went really well. They had an ATM. We should say that too. They didn't take check or credit card, did they? But they took cash. And there's an ATM on site right around the corner, so right you could there. get you cash if you needed yeah. to.
3: It wasn't that big a deal. I really liked the fact that they had. Why I get? They get a, still get an A from me. Is they had a great selection of, of of video games and pinball machines and redemption games and slot machines and vendors so and game and selection was big for you. Game, game selection. selection was big for me. Yeah,
1: you couldn't have got five more games in there, I don't think. Oh no, no, they
3: crammed it full. You, they crammed it full. And, you know, last year they, they had one table for uh, the consoles and uh, had some more games on the outside. This year they had two two tables for consoles. Uh, you know, uh, six one, half a dozen of the other. Uh, one of the games that I was hoping to play again this year was the Louisville Slugfest. That was where the console, the second table of the consoles were. And so I was a little disappointed about that because I really like the game and want to get one. They can't but help with, not,
2: Yeah, they can't help with the vendors. Brain, they can't you know, help that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying. So, <laughs> but they
3: still get an A from me. I really like the selection. I thought the lighting was right. I thought the volume of the music was right this year. Uh, the laser light show that they had up last year, I went and got a laser for my arcade. They had it up again this year. They gave away some free prizes and things like that. So definitely, definitely A, A for me. That sounds
2: good. Well, John,
1: you heard us. Now you got to chime in with what's your opinion? I'm going to, I'm
2: going to go A minus. So I, I, you know, I know Stan was kind of teetering between A and A A minus. I'm going to go straight A minus. I thought it was good. I thought the game selection was good. I, I really didn't have a good time. I haven't been probably since 2006 or something like that since the last time you and me went, Tim. So it's been a while since I'd actually been. I liked all that. I liked the seminars. The seminars were very informative. You know, I mean, not always do you go to these things and they have good seminars. A lot of times it's just like a big advertisement or something like that. But I felt like all the seminars were pretty informative, very well done. A lot of people didn't attend the seminars. That was kind of the thing. And I don't know if they did a good job. Uh, of advertising those You know what I'm saying Maybe. Like like putting out that Hey you know There's seminars And so they could have Definitely done a better job there Because I want to see more people In those seminars You know because The people who attend the seminars Are people like us You know the enthusiasts That have collections right. They want to learn more About arcade games There are a couple of people In the pinball seminar Who had you know Their first EM Remember those two guys That were in there yeah. They had like their first EM game They were in there with us But you know overall I thought the seminars Were well done But they could have Done a better job Of getting more people in there I'm with Stan Didn't like the shirt design uh, definitely like last year 's better because I remember seeing the site the site was better too I, I felt like well designed you know with that logo and everything on it last year. love that Tron logo i 'm with Tim the skins game was a little rough you know uh you know I understand having a raffle, but like Tim said, have a raffle for something that will bring in some some good money, you know like a miss Pac man or a classic because you know people just love classic arcades it doesn 't matter what age you are you know even in, even teenagers nowadays if they see a classic arcade game, they don 't care it 's an arcade game to them. But, you know, an old timer's probably not going to raffle, or not going to buy a raffle ticket for a Skins game. You know, because they, I mean, they, you know, it's not that big a deal to them. Overall, though, I thought it was A minus. I didn't think the music was too loud. I thought it was okay. Maybe, maybe a little bit, but I mean, you know, overall, it was fine. Uh, had a good time when we were there. Got to meet a lot of nice people. Overall, A minus. That's what I'm going with. So I think, I think, uh, I think that pretty much sums up the entire hack. I think we summed it up. Is there anything you guys want to say kind of before we finish out our thoughts on the hack?
1: Yeah, we just. I think Thank the, the guys, organizers. Yeah, yes, I definitely. think the guys know that we're not being we're being honest. We're not yeah. being hypercritical. The fact is that you guys do a great show, and people who are listening, we have listeners all over the United States and the world. Uh, it's not very far from the airport. I mean, it'd be a great thing for you guys to fly in, bring your kids, spend the weekend, spend the weekend. Uh, they they do a good job of uh, announcing the dates real early in the yep. year. You know, they're real reasonable on the vendor spaces. A uh, reasonable price, guys. You know, I paid in advance. It was $15 for the whole day. Yep. You know, I can play. 25 p- for the weekend if you pay in advance. Right. At the door, it was 20 and 30
2: So it's the same price as the pinball festival. Right. So it's usually, I believe, like yeah. it was last year. So, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, definitely a reasonable price for what you got. I mean, I didn't feel cheated out of my money no, at all. No, no, definitely no. got my money's worth. You sure. know, I mean, it was definitely a good time and, and, you know,
1: I think overall and, and, it was great, and, and you didn't have any power problems. I didn't see no, a lot of down right. games. I know there probably were a few issues. I, I heard of something like that, but you know, you get that many games. Gosh, we turn every game on in here. Bring mine over. We're going to start blowing fuses and yeah, breakers, right. and <laughs> or the temperature you
3: know. is going to get hot. It was nice and cool. You guys had had all that worked out. That's in, right. That in, was in, in, a, in a great place, and you know,
1: you could definitely tell it wasn't their first rodeo. You know that they had done this before. Seem to just get better and better every year. So, uh, you know, and and I think that I really will look forward to it. It's kind of ranking. I've always, you know, we haven't been to a lot of festivals. Right. Uh, We can honestly say that.
2: Except for every Texas pinball festival, it seems like. And and, and And a couple of hacks.
1: Right. But you can just tell they keep getting better every year. So
2: Something I really want to encourage people to do is if you ever find a show that's in your neck of the woods, you should go. Right. I don't care if you're listening to this and you're not into arcade repair or if you're listening to this and you're a diehard arcade enthusiast. I think no matter what, you guys should take time out of your weekend and go support these guys. I mean, a lot of these guys, take a game. Take right. one game. Get into the show for free. See what else is out there. Make friends with other collectors. It's a great opportunity for that.
1: One last thing I I would like to, rec- just a recommendation is, Jonathan, we have probably fielded a 1,000 questions, and I'm not being facetious. No. I mean, over the last... Few years, yeah, it's, thousand, a, it's more than that. But yeah, more eight, than that, more than that. Questions, eighty percent of them are on what? Monitor repair. Monitor repair, and I have yet to, and, and I, and if I'm learning more things on monitors every day, I would love to, you know, if as far as we've learned and we can repair maybe eight out of ten, right? Um, you know, I would love to see that would be a good suggestion if we're having eighty percent of our questions several hundreds i mean we get monitor, monitor we could create a faq it, it's we just know the answers so easy now because we went through it you know i know that was the thing that scared a lot of people it also keeps people from buying games because yep. they think they've heard these horror stories about monitors shocking people and all this well, stuff. i heard a guy and, died from yeah. sticking his hand up in there so that's a recommendation i would have a, a class on that with somebody's skill, or at least we uh, might have a beginner's class, maybe an intermediate or something. So that's just a recommendation. You know,
2: it's funny when you say that because uh, you guys go to business conferences. If you've ever been to some of these business conferences like I've been to, um, for, especially for software, you'll get like a beginner and intermediate and advanced level classes at right. those. And I think that's a really good way to approach it, Tim. If one of these expos would do like a, here's beginner right. arcade repair, here's intermediate arcade repair, here's, here's advanced. to discharge arcade a monitor repair. and do a
1: cap kit. Right. exactly you know and, and so anyway it's just a suggestion i think sure. that it would be good something even though i'm many monitors we've repaired and looked at we probably would learn something ourselves so
2: yeah okay stan any parting thoughts on the on the hag before we we head out here you just guys keep up to doing the great job man you guys you have
3: a great venue for that and uh comments were meant to just to be uh, supportive of you guys and want to want to see it uh, get better every year. Yeah, I'm looking and, forward
2: to uh, 2012 well, already. I and mean, you know, you know this
1: start, uh, guys, it was just some guys like us getting together in their area. So you say, man, I wish we had a festival like that. Well, put an ad on Craigslist. Hey, anybody else collecting arcade games in my area? Just it, it never started off. Nothing yeah, starts off. Get about big. five
2: or six of you, and you know, have a good collection We're in like Stan games, here. And, rent
1: a building, go to the Holiday Inn or something, ask for a banquet room. And uh, I mean, you know, this is the kind of stuff that we uh, want to encourage everybody to get
2: involved in. Yeah, and like, and like Stan said, this is really mainly more for encouragement. We really yes. want to encourage you guys. You guys are doing a good job, and all the expos out there continue to do what you're doing. Continue to do those expos. Stan, I know we interrupted you. Was there anything else before we head out here? No, that's just as
3: you just guys keep up doing a good job. Take this and uh, and keep rolling with it.
2: Sounds good. Well, that's it for the Hag Expo, guys. I think that we all had a good time. We're all kind of tired. We're we're recording this on a weeknight here, but it was a good time. Okay, Tim. Well, let, let's uh, let's finish up this one with just a couple of questions from our listeners, and especially nice since we have Stan here too. And I think Stan can relate to this next one. And, and guys, this one is from Charles in Saint Saint Petersburg, Florida. And he writes, Hello, Tim and Jonathan. Thanks again for your help with my game. I have a few questions for you. I have a 6-in-1 JAMA board I want to use in a Lethal Enforcers cabinet. The boards I plan to run are Lethal Enforcers 0.1 and 2, Police Trainer, and Area 51 Side 4. I have a plan for the guns and multiple boards I think I can work out the stereo sound. My problem is with flipping the yoke. As this is a dedicated cabinet, I don't want to splice and dice anything. The Lethal Enforcers and Police Trainer are the only ones that support a mirror mode. So if I understand correctly, if I flip the yoke correctly and set all the games up as if they were standard, then all of them work, appear normal through the mirror. I am tracking the four wires from the yoke to the monitor board. Would you be so kind to explain how to build a short cable that plugs onto the yoke connector on one side and the monitor board on the other, only with the proper wires switched around? The intent is to be able to pull this cable out and restore the cabinet to the original. The monitor is a Wells Garner. K7191 25 inch thank you for your help and again this is from Charles in St. Petersburg Florida so this is a very interesting question which is why I wanted to throw it in while we're here on the podcast Uh, it's very interesting to see how he did it here Basically, what he's trying to do is he, he. there are only two games, Tim, that support this mirrored mode that you find on Lethal Enforcers. For those who don't know, Lethal Enforcers is in a mirrored cabinet. It has a 45-degree mirror in it, and the monitor actually displays up into the mirror, and the mirror displays out to the player. Right, correct. And what we know is that it the display is actually mirrored on the screen so that when it hits the mirror, it displays right to the player.
1: So the game board actually... Projects it right. There's a dip backwards. switch on the
2: game board okay. on Police Trainer and Lethal Enforcers that displays it backwards. Right, Because so, I've
1: seen them in non-mirrored games.
2: Right. The problem is is that zero point one and two and some of these other games that he's looking at don't support this mirrored mode. Right. So what he's trying to do is switch around the yoke wires to get it to where it will display properly. And he wants to build kind of a harness that he can plug the yoke wires into and then switch around the that switches around the wires for him so that he doesn't have to worry about mirroring it. Now, Tim. My first question is is this possible? Is there a way to switch around those yoke wires to make it display correctly in the mirror?
1: Yes, he could I but he doesn't have to build uh, a harness. Right. He needs to cut them th- in two.
2: I think he's trying to keep it original though. And that's well, why he wants to he wants to build the harness. He basically wants to build like
1: a Well, that's why it's the way he wants to do it. It's not that it's not possible. It's not the way he's trying to do it. Right. I wouldn't do it that way. You know,
3: what he might do to be able to keep the original yoke, because, you know, desoldering those four uh, legs off the top of the yoke, you can flip the monitor upside down and reverse by doing that. Right. But what would easily, a little bit more easy for you to do is you put some bayonet connectors. You cut the wires in between, you make them covered bayonet connectors, and you color them. Uh, to each wire, or you mark them on the little the sheath bayonet connectors, and then you, when you want to run your zero point, you pull it off and you switch the two that need to be switched to make it mirrored. It's a minor, you don't have to h- slice and dice yeah, and a single double bayonet connector, and it's still insulated, and you're swapping it.
2: And you're able to move it back and forth. Let me ask you this, though. I just thought about this, just came to me just right this moment. What if I clipped those, that yoke connector off of another monitor and then soldered in the reverse on there? So I have actually two sets of yoke wires coming off of my yoke. Yes. And that way I could, I could have one set for the reversal and then the other set for the correct. That would be normal.
3: That would be perfectly fine as long as you didn't have both of them hooked up or two yellows. Hooked up at any one time, right? You're going to be completely safe to be able to do that. You would have your original harness and you would have your alternate harness. But I
2: think what he really wants to know is where, (laughs) which ones do I swap? No, like color wise, like which one, which which like if tell me exactly which wires I need to swap. I I think that's going to be up
3: to uh, trial and error is the term (laughs) that they use. You take one off very carefully with some good leather gloves on so that you don't get shocked, and you pull and you connect it up and you see how it does. Right. That's going to be the best thing. Either that or you talk to somebody who built the game, which getting access to somebody who actually designed and built the game to be able to tell you that or that monitor uh, in today's ages, you're not going to be able to do. So
1: It's a Wells Garner monitor he has in there, right? Yes, it's 7,000. You can talk to Wells Garner, but he needs to talk to Michael. I think so. He needs to email Michael. And Michael, because you can swap like the red and the yellow and stuff, but there's—I remember Michael saying there's some combination you can't do. do. Okay. There's one well, you that. Well, those don't. are always
2: key. It seems like, yeah. and I mean, well, they're, they're, they're going to
1: be in a row, right? Okay, the two horizontal yellow is your vertical, right? And the red is not going to sit, So then you got green and blue. So those are what you're going to swap, right? The the two red and the yellow are your vertical. And the green and blue are horizontal, so if you swap those two, right, you're swap going, well, swap both pairs, Is yeah, yeah both you're pairs. Here. So swap in other words, then, then it, it should switch work. Around. Right, well, we've had to do that. I, I guess the I just this, this big word keeps coming to my head. Why? But I mean, <laughs> to me, I mean, honestly, I understand what he's trying to do. Definitely. If you want to build a multi-gun game cabinet, right. Why use the mirror one? Why not use a cabinet? Well, it, it seems doesn't like doesn't have the, he just wants a mirror. Well, he I think it's all he has it. access to. At well, this point. That, well, he needs to get another one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he would get he another needs one because it's going to get a get cabinet real, that he can play off an area 51 in. cabinet that doesn't have right, the area mirrored one
3: to where you can do all that and Because
1: he's going to be sticking his right where we're talking about if I'm understanding his question, every time he wants to switch games, you're gonna he's going to have to get you. into the monitor area right or right. he's going to well, have to well, no really... no no
2: no what he's thinking about doing is he wants to switch these wires so it's a permanent thing set all the game boards on standard display but since the yoke wires are switched it automatically displays the mirrored image of it that's what he wants is to where whenever he puts any of those boards in it just works and so he only wants to do it once i see so i mean he could cut them like stan was saying i was thinking in case he wanted to keep the yoke intact he could he could put the second set of yoke wires on there if he wanted to keep the yoke intact, Price. you know. But otherwise, he could just cut them like you were talking about. Swap what is the yellow and the red, and swap the re- the blue and the green, and right. then he should be able to get what he
1: cut it in half. What right. he's completely for. swap them, but I, I he really. But if I you should swap know it the with her,
3: it's always gonna you know some of the games. Unless, you know, that, forces you can, you can, you can, you can control it with a dip
2: switch setting. Right. So you could do it. You could technically do that. He's just going to have time. to try it, and I, 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 I had, would ask Michael. I know right? this is this is our hag episode and everything, yeah. but I love this question. That's why I brought it up. I think it's a very interesting concept, and it took me a minute to wrap my head around what he was doing. Yeah, wanting. I'm just
1: now kind of getting what you're saying he's doing. Right. I thought he was going to go to the back every time he played a game Here's and swap so. them around. Can I,
3: can I give a little piece of information about, I've had an Arium 51 and a Lethal Enforcers, and the gun game is going to work a lot better without that mirror flip. Yeah, Um. Mm-hmm. it does. And so if you were able to to get a different cabinet, you're going to have a better calibration and a better
1: response from your uh, from your from your light gun without the mirror. Um, he can right. use the same cabinet. I've seen them. Yeah, they take the mirror out, mount your mount the monitor, monitor up. up. It's yeah. just a lot of trouble. Yeah, doing it's, that. it's a lot of trouble. But, but if it's you're free, going to
2: that
3: trouble, I mean, for a
1: few screws, and right? It make it would make your
2: guns
3: work better. You know, because I was always trying to, uh, to degauss that lethal enforcer's monitor, calibrate the gun so that it would work right. And yeah. I, I would do it, but I would have to do it about once a week. Right. You know, on my Area 51, and I didn't have to do that because it was an upright monitor. With it, it down shocked. in that
1: mirror, too, you have to turn the brightness way up, way up. a lot of and so yeah. you
3: trade some good looks of your game for, for function. So get away from the mirror.
2: Yeah, but I mean, like I said, I understand mm-hmm. what he's trying to do here. I understand the whole the whole sequence behind it and everything. And I think it would work. I think if he switches around all those, definitely want to be careful. Like Tim said, Stan said. <laughs> 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 but if you do it right, you only have to do it once, and you set them all on standard, and it should, in theory. Work. In theory. I mean, yeah. you know, and I'm putting big air quotes around right. that. Big you know, they can't see it on the radio, Tim. But yeah. big air quotes. Be in very theory. careful right. what you're doing with that. But right. you know, hey,
1: Email uh, Be bold, <laughs>
2: but be careful. There you go. Well, that's all I only wanted to really go over that question. We've got a couple more in, but but that one was just so Crazy that I thought. Oh, we'll throw one in here. We are the question and answer question of the week. Right? That's right. That's a question <laughs> of, of the week. This the is a month. question and answer podcast, so I thought we would throw that in there. But I mean, obviously, the majority of this episode was dedicated to Hag Charles. Thank you for your question, though. We definitely were happy to go over it, and we will talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. You know? Let us
1: know what you choose to do and how it comes out. If you want to document with some pictures, would be great.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, definitely a good project. And, and Tim, you know, actually, while I'm sitting here too, I've been thinking about. Maybe shooting a video on how to put an LCD screen in an arcade monitor. A lot of people might be familiar with the video converter board. We actually got one of those in I mentioned a while back. And I got a nice LCD monitor to try it on. So we might actually be filming a video like that. But one of the things I'm real interested in, and I'm trying to search all over the internet for this, is how I can wire around the power button on this LCD monitor I've got to where it just comes on. And if I can figure that out, that's the key piece to just using an off-the-shelf LCD. And I know a lot of you guys are out there and you're listening to me and you're thinking the same thing. Right. You know, you got a main cabinet it has got an LCD monitor on it that you bought at Best Buy. And you're thinking to yourself... How can I make that thing just come on whenever I've got it in there?
3: I've got your answer. Yeah, Yo, you
2: see, Stan's got an answer. So we might be shooting a video on that, too. I mean, I know you can wire around the button and everything, but I wonder, like, does that actually work? Can I get it to work? But I was thinking maybe a relay or something I can throw in there. What I, I did
1: at, at Chuck E. Cheese was you cannot just wire the wires together or right. automatically come on. What I did was I wired a momentary button on the outside so when you started the game, you, went, you hit the button. So when you turn it on, it turns on. But San's shaking his head. He's got a better idea. I got a better idea. We're going to save it. Okay, okay? That's we'll a teaser. save it. I got a really <laughs> cheap,
2: great idea. So that's, that's a teaser for our next video at some point. We've got all the equipment staying. We'll do it over at your house next time. But, guys, let's close up the podcast. We've been talking for longer than I wanted to tonight, but we're having a good time. So, you know, I didn't mind talking a little bit longer. But, you know, we want to thank again all the people who participated in the HAG and put on the HAG 2011 this year you we had guys a good rock. you guys rock we enjoyed the show b plus a minus a i mean we got some good good grades in there for you guys and we're looking forward to 2012 and charles thank you for your question of the week on the yoke wires and everything and guys uh, just remember here at arcade repair tips when you fix the game you, you play, play the, the game. game take care everybody
1: Thank you for listening to the Arcade Repair Tips question and answer podcast. All of our episodes are available for download at ArcadeRepairTips.com or at the iTunes Music Store under podcasts. This podcast is intended for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult a professional before attempting to repair any coin-operated machines yourself. The preceding program is a VARcade
0: Entertainment production.